Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. When we uh, did the promise thing, the promise of falling back with the small kids, it worked well with the kids because if, if Max had hit the ground, he would have been a small kid and probably bounced okay. It's like watching Grant run around here because he's really small. He falls down like 40 times a morning, but the older we get, proportionally less we want to do that. But as we trust people and they make promises and we're going to fall back into their arms, there's probably some of us this morning that's done that and there was nobody there to catch us. Metaphorically speaking, we can trust people at their word and we have to at times. We've entered with agreements with people on a number of occasions in which they didn't fulfill their side of the bargain or do what they said they would do. And I'm not afraid to say that sometimes that happens as the closer a family gets together, a group of people get together. That could happen even inside the local church. Because really, God's the only one that's perfect and keeps His promise perfectly. And He asks us to obey Him. And we make promises to one another. And we kind of let each other down. And we fall down and we have to deal with that. But as we start this morning, think of the kids. Think of you took the place of Max somewhere in your life and you fell back and you're like, I hit hard and I was 15 feet up in the air. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Jeremiah chapter 31. And God makes a promise. He makes a promise to restore his flock. In Jeremiah chapter uh, chapter 23, and if you have a... uh, Bible this morning, the good news, or the story Bible, it's page 528. Does anybody would like to have one this morning? Follow along. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, God exclaims. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will tend to you. And for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Promise. Verse 3. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall be any be missing, declares the Lord. There's bad shepherds. God says, whoa. God says, hey. God says, look me in the eye before I give you this whooping. Woe to those who are supposed to take care of what is mine. Woe to those who I've entrusted to take care of my people and they have not done a good job. 
Not only have they not taken care of them, they've scattered them. They've pushed them away. They've drove them away. And God has this to say, I will attend to you. I will attend to you. But he makes his promise to his flock. I will gather you, Israel. I will gather you when you get dispersed as a nation from all the countries. And you will come back. And I promise to gather you. And you shall be together. And you, there will be shepherds who I will set over you who will take care of you. God is mitigating with to his people with other people. We want God to step into our lives, gather us together, hear our wounds, but we don't like the person God says to, see, to help mend that. God, I just want you to do that. And he's like, no, I'm going to use other people in your life to help this happen. Israel, I'm going to do that with you. Yeah, there were some bad shepherds. Yeah, you've heard. Yeah, you've fallen back and they didn't catch you. But I will bring you back. I will gather you in and I will take care of you. We all know that Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And for three times at the end of the book of Matthew, the book of John, Jesus asks Peter what? Three times, do you love me? And his response is, yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Oh, yes! That's the part of Peter. What we forget is Jesus' response. If you love me, Peter, feed my and my sheep. What does loving Jesus look like for Peter? When Jesus says, hey, you've denied me. Let's go through this, bud. You say you love me. And you're getting frustrated at this, but I'm going to say the same answer three times that you didn't want to hear. Loving me means loving those I love. I love church, but I don't like the people. I mean, we've heard that. They're full of goofballs, hypocrites, weirdos. I love some Jesus, but I don't, like what, I don't like the church. What are you saying then? I love Jesus, but I don't love what he loves. It doesn't make sense. If you're going to date somebody, if you want to get to know somebody, and they enjoy sailing, and you hate the water, will never do sailing, but say, I like them. It doesn't work. You say you love Jesus, you've got to love Jesus for what Jesus loves, and that's people, and you've got to then love people. Jesus has promised, God has promised to Israel, I'm going to gather you. I'm going to restore literally a flock. I'm going to use the image of a shepherd. Move to Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is a name by which he will, he will be called. The Lord is righteousness. God promises to restore them a king. This is where we read this morning. This promise started in 2 Samuel when Samuel comes to David and says, hey, I make a promise to you that there will always be one on the throne. Fast forward to Luke. The news to Mary was, hey, you're going to have a baby. But what was so incredibly important about that announcement? 
It's a big deal that a virgin is going to give birth. We celebrate that, and so we think about Christmas. But also think, he shall fill the role of David's throne. This is a promise made in Samuel to David. This is a promise. David is dead in Jeremiah. This is a promise in Luke. And then we just read the promise. This is completely to Revelation 19. Oh, well, wait a second. God makes promises, and I want them within seven days. There's got to be an expiration date on this. God, do things on my time. Wait a second. This is a promise that started way, way, way back with David. This is a promise that came back when Mary gave birth. This is a promise that the Jews expected he was going to reign. Didn't work out, so let's kill him. Then he raises from the dead and says, hey, I'm coming back as king of kings, lords of lords. Remember the imagery in Revelation 19? Sword out of his mouth, fire of his own fire. Lord of lords, king of kings, riding on a horse, kills everything. Woo! That's a Jesus that's coming back. This is a promise of restoration of this king that the days are coming. We don't even have seen this part yet. Jesus is king. 2 Samuel 7 is the promise to David. Luke 1, the promise to Mary. Revelation 19. Believe it. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, too. Our King is returning. And God has promised that. All the way back to a people in times of prophets. They don't have a king. Remember in our reading this morning, King Nebuchadnezzar. The world knows about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's coming in, he's going to take these people captive for 70 years. After that 70 years, God promised. He tells them how long it's going to take. 70 years. But there is a king. He's promised to restore his flock. He's promised to bring us that king. Now we're moving to Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives, who brought us up by the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought you up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries where I have driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. This is a mind-blowing restoration. This basically put here in your margins, new, margins, new national creed. To this date right now, what is the greatest thing that God has ever done with the nation of Israel? They recently made a movie out of it. What's the biggest thing he's done? You ask anybody that has remote affiliation with God in the movies and God does cool stuff, what, do you, what is the first thing you think about? Crossing the Red Sea. This is a national identity. Imagine being Jewish and saying, my God is the one who did that. What's, a, what's our national identity as Americans? We pay taxes and all that kind of stuff. What's the one time of year we get to celebrate being American? July 4th! Right? That's our national identity. That's when we became independent. Imagine something happening again that erases July 4th and then we start a new day. When God restores Israel as a country, literally did happen to a literal people, Exodus is erased as not being as good. Mind-blowing restoration. And he promises this to them. 
Look at the threat. The days are coming when? I will restore the flock. I will restore your king. And when the restoring happens, you will not say, hey, remember when we came out of Egypt. You will say, remember when God restored. Flip a couple pages to Jeremiah 31. Page 534. Continue with these promises. Jeremiah chapter 31. Right there. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9, and then we'll ver- jump to verse, verse 1, and then we'll verse, jump to verse 9. Familiar phrase here at the beginning. Ready? At that time. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Just hold on a second. This is God saying at that time, He's made all these promises to a literal people. When I gather you together, all of you, all your groups, all your tribes, all the sub factors of those tribes, and what? They shall be mine. Come to verse 9. Love the Bible, it's incredibly real. I'm going to gather you all together. I promise to do all this, and this is how you're all going to come together. Ready? With weeping, they shall come. With pleas of mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather them, gather him, and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. They shall be my people. A literal people. God is disciplining them. This is coming in. You're not listening to me. Jeremiah does for 40 years. Hey, y'all, come on. Repent, repent, repent. There's a strong thing coming north. and His name's Nebuchadnezzar. If you guys don't do this, it's going to cost you 70 years of exile. And God says, if you don't repent, I'm going to scatter you. This is the other side of that. Pastor Michael talked about this. We have to talk about the Bible because in the same way God says, if you don't repent, I'm going to discipline you. When you come to me, I will gather you. So he gathers his people. They shall be my people. Why in the world would they come with pleas of mercy? Because the Bible is so incredibly real. I didn't follow you. Our whole nation was scattered and in exile for 70 years, and you did gather us. Please forgive me. God loves you so much, he wants to have a relationship to you, but do you walk up to that door and say, I don't have any sin in my life, you didn't have to die for me, and I'm good enough to get in. Thank you. Come to God in the same way. Please, of mercy. God, please forgive me. I want to have a relationship with you. I have sinned, and you did pay that price for me. You love me enough to do that. The same thing Israel is saying. You have loved us. We have done nothing but be terrible kids. And yet you have called us back. You promised to do this. We will come with pleas of mercy. 
while he said, I will restore you the flock and I will set shepherds over you, this is language that is continued where God claims the role of chief shepherd. If you flip over into your New Testament, Jesus claims the exact same role. When he's talking about under shepherds, elders, overseers, when they are written to and say, hey, do your job really well and do it this way, for your chief shepherd is watching. The shepherd language is drawn all the way through Genesis and all the way through into Revelation because when Jesus comes back on the horse and he says he will rule with a rod of iron, the word there is shepherd. Shepherds don't have a rod of iron. Then what's the staff for? It wasn't a walking stick. In line. Bite off the enemies and you. Back in line, sheep. That's the staff. Oh, I love how this all connects. So even with us, there's discipline. Even with us, there's pleas of mercy to come back. But this is a literal promise to a literal people who literally exist, who are waiting for that day their king returns. And the king returns as a chief shepherd. God will care for them like he does a parent. Jeremiah 31, 18. Here, I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For I have turned away and relented, and after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim, is Israel my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still, God says. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy. Look at the language here. God, I really want to come back. I realize what I did. That was stupid. I strike my thigh. I was like, all right, I did discipline you. We discipline our children, our people, in a way that doesn't show love. Sometimes, but this good discipline is for the care of the other, and a parent has to do that. And God says, I am yearning for them to return. Look in, at the end of verse 20, it says, Therefore my heart yearns for him. That's why our English has not done what the Hebrew wanted us to do. The words there are for his guts, his bow. Guts, all my insides yearn for you to come back, my dear child. That's our, that's our chief shepherd who is yearning for them to come back. I will surely have mercy. We've seen that God wants to promise to restore his flock, God's promise to restore the king, God has promised restoration that resets memory. And God has said, I promise to restore this flock and I will be their chief shepherd. And there's a specific promise for Israel. Turn to chapter 31, verses 31. Anybody see a familiar phrase at the beginning of chapter 31? I mean, chapter 31, verse 31. Another promise. Behold, the days are coming. Declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God's promised a new covenant with Israel. Israel has a pretty good track record. How have they kept God's covenant? Pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. What's it going to cost them in the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah is saying this is coming. 70 years of captivity. It's essentially wiping out an entire generation. God's done this before. Hey, spies, go see the promised land. Well, Caleb, Joshua say, hey, we can do this. The other ten say no. Who's going to take care of our kids? God said, I will. You guys aren't going in. Your generation's going to die in the wilderness. God has done this before. So he says to the current generation, repent or I'm going to send you into 70 years of exile. Annihilating, basically punishing that generation. Your kids will then go in. By the way, this is the context of the verse that says, for I have plans for you, neither to leave you nor forsake you. We're good. He's saying that to the generation who's going to die in captivity. He's saying, I'm talking to your kids. The next time you see that verse, recognize the recipients of that, we're going to die in captivity. Yeah, I'll keep on going. So Israel has this horrible track record. God says, hey, I will restore you. There is coming a day. I like it when God says that. These are promises that's over and over again. You see why the theme of this morning's promises? I'm making a promise. There is coming a day. Although Israel has a horrible track record, there will be a time when every single person will know me and know my law. Where will it be written? On their hearts, from the inside out. We can do behavior modification all the time. And you can tell when kids are reluctant, and they'll say, yeah, we'll say you're sorry. I'm sorry. But you can tell when something comes from the heart out. You will obey me because it comes from your guts, inside your heart, inside your soul, from your belief system, from what you do, into your action. And we'll all, they will all know it. All of Israel will participate like this. They won't say, hey, hey can I teach you something? Like, no, I already know. I already have a relationship with God. Has this time happened yet? This is a promise to Israel. God says there comes a day when this will happen. Flip to verse 35. Chapter 31. Thus says the Lord, Who gives the sun for light by day? The fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. Who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar? The Lord of hosts is His name. 
If the fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. What is God saying right there? As soon as the globe starts, stops spinning, that's as soon as when Israel starts being the apple of my eye. As soon as the stars in the sky go out of their order, that's when Israel won't be the apple of my eye. The context of this promise is for whom? Israel. We've studied together God keeping His promises to Israel. Our scripture reading this morning included the promise of David on the, the promise of King on David's throne, the promise that God said for seventy years Israel shall cease being a nation, and I will restore them and I will bring them back. We, we read this morning the promises even of King Nebuchadnezzar. It was his name is literally spoken before he ever comes on the scene. This is the cat that's going to do this. These are promises after promises to the nation of Israel. And as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, God's track record will be kept. That's where we finish. That's where God himself says, I will keep my word so much that you can depend on it like the sun coming up tomorrow. Without flaw, perfect in every detail, and true in every detail. So what? Pastor Todd, you've been talking about a whole bunch of promises to a bunch of people that are long dead and are dusty. You're talking about promises to a people that is a specific people, and it's not Ocala necessarily, unless you're Jewish. (laughs) What? What about my expectations? You spent all morning talking about people that's not us. We have studied a book that was not written to us. We've looked over the shoulder of a Jew that Jeremiah has been talking to and been eavesdropping on their love letter that God's been sending. So how do we bridge this gap to 2016 in Ocala? Great question. I'm glad you asked that. Jesus' final command in Matthew 28 is, I will always be there. Lo, I will be with you till when? The end of the age. That's a promise. Our God, our King, the one who's going to sit on the throne. By the way, it's the same guy that comes back with all that fire out of his mouth and the sword and his Lord, the Lord, King of Kings, riding on a horse. That's the one who's promised. That's the one who says, as soon as the earth stops spinning, I won't keep my promises anymore. I will do it. I will always be there. (laughs) Jesus said, with all authority on heaven and on earth, Over every demon, over every angel, over every living creature, Jesus commands us to do what? He's the boss. He's the king. He's coming back. All authority. I have no one to answer to, Jesus says. And he says, what to you? Go and do what? You tell me that God's promises have something to do with my obedience. Absolutely. Oh, how does this work? The God of the universe, the God who's coming back, the God who's coming back on that horse I get so excited about, says, go, make disciples, and I will be with you to the end of the age. 
Israel, I will love you, I will charm you, I will woo you, I will come back with you, or I will also discipline you. I am your father. I make these promises. There is always obedience involved with God's promises. Our choice then is to get in line with his promises and do what he's asked us to do. There are bunches and bunches of promises that he gives us in the New Testament. There's bunches and bunches of commands that he gives us. But this is the verse we read every Sunday. How then are we going to interact with that? Because the king is returning. And he'll say, how did you do? I asked you to be obedient to me. I promised to come back, and you're shocked? Whoa, 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 wait a second. My grand aunt doesn't know you yet. Okay? I gave you this command as soon as you came to know me, as soon as it was taught to you, as soon as you came to understand that my role in life is be obedient to Jesus and doing part of that is making disciples. So who is your disciple? This is where it gets a tad bit uncomfortable, huh? We're cool with listening about God's promises. He's going to do what he's going to do. and He's going to restore us. He's going to be a chief shepherd. But here's... Part that he's commanded. We say it every Sunday. If you want to participate this morning, take your connection card and write down who is your disciple that you want the team to pray for. It may be somebody just a contacted community. Somebody hates Jesus, but you have a spot in your heart that says, I want that guy to come. I want that lady to come. I want that kid to come to know Jesus. I want to help participate with me in being obedient to Jesus' command. We want to pray for you for through that. I really, really, really wanted to take all the promises of Israel and find a way of landing it so somebody, can, somebody this week says, what did you guys study last Sunday? All the promises of Israel? You're like, so what? What's that to do with us? I'm obedient to God's promises. Because Jesus' command to make disciples is founded upon his promise. Lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Do what I've asked you to do. Follow me in obedience. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.